Um, back in January, I was at Pompano Beach on a Saturday morning uh, all by myself uh, working on actually this Sunday's sermon. And so back in January, I, I get away. Danita goes with me. She just wasn't with me that morning. And I was at a coffee shop, and I was working on April 26th, which was last week's and this week's and, and the following week's. And so what I do is I get away, and I write like a one-page brief. And this one-page brief is kind of like the vision behind a sermon. And so I write the one-page brief, then I give it to the production team. The production team then crafts a service around it. And so I was working on last week, and I was thinking, okay, that'd be really cool to do something on temptation. This one would be really cool to talk about the tempter. Of course, Tom took last week's, my little outline, uh, on temptation, and he writes this incredible sermon. Didn't he do a great job uh, last week? That I, I was, I was wonderful. So, so I'm at this coffee shop writing these three different like one-page briefs on, on temptation last week, and this one's on the tempter today. Next week, I'm not going to tell you because it's Mother's Day. You have to come back, okay? But it's four women. So next week, but all three of these weeks are out of Matthew chapter 4. They're all three of the same text. And so I'm working on like evil. And I thought, okay, let's do something about evil. So I'm at this coffee shop trying to figure out, you know, like how do we explain, you know, not like Baltimore because Baltimore hadn't happened yet, right? But, but how do we explain, you know, like, like Baltimore, that the events that we saw take place this past week? How, how do you explain going from protests to, to looting and burning down and, and destroying and hurting and harm? How, how do you explain all that? And how do you, so I'm sitting there at that coffee shop thinking about, okay, like the Boston Marathon bombing. I'm thinking about, you know, the one brother was shot and then the other brother's going to go through a trial. And even this last week, the last two weeks, we've seen, you know, that on TV and, and that whole trial. Or also even this past week, James Holmes, the, the, the guy, this was two and a half years ago. Do you remember this? It was the premiere of The Dark Knight Rises. He goes into the movie theater, Century 16 movie theater, loaded with automatic weapons, and he wounds 70 people, and he kills 12 people. And like, so I, I'm working on, in January with those kind of thoughts going through my mind. How do you explain that? How do you explain evil in this world? How do you explain, you know, the Russian dictator, you know, Mr. Putin, how do you explain him trying to take over more territory, you know, ignoring human rights? How, how, how do you come to grips with that? How do you come to grips with ISIS? In, in, in the last year alone, ISIS killed 25,000 people. How, how do you come to grips with the problem of evil in this world? And so it's, it's really hard to come to grips with that if we don't understand that not, not, we're not going to talk about temptation today, but we are going to talk about the tempter. So I'm in this coffee shop in Pompano Beach, Saturday morning, all by myself in January, working on today's message on the tempter. And in this coffee shop behind me, it's kind of like a big area, like 30 people are behind me. They're in the air conditioning I'm kind of like in this middle foyer area that's like, it's open, but it's a little bit of air conditioning, but you can see out, and then there's an outer courtyard that you can see. There's about 30, there's about 30 people behind me, about 10 of us in this inner courtyard, I mean, it's inner foyer, and about 30 or 35 people in this outer courtyard. And I'm working away, and I've got my great big study Bible. You, you like those study Bibles? Study Bibles are awesome, by the way. They give you so many details. I've got my study Bible on, on my one uh, leg. I'm sitting in this big chair. I've got my laptop, you know, on my lap. And I've got a piece of paper and a pen. I'm, uh, I mean, if there was a fire, you know, I'd be the last dude out of the room, you know. I'd be in trouble. So I'm sitting there working on all this. I'm working on evil. I'm working on the tempter for today, back in January. 
And all of a sudden, it's like two guys like walk by me, and my brain goes click. And I, I didn't even look up. I certainly couldn't get up, but I didn't even look up. I just kind of looked to the side of me, and I could just see these two guys kind of like from the waist down. And all of a sudden, and I'm not a police officer, and even those of you that are school teachers, you're so aware of your surroundings. I, I was like, something inside of my brain goes, you need to pay attention to what's going on here at this coffee shop. Well, I, I didn't think anything of it. I just kept writing and kept working away. And then about five minutes later, these same two guys circle back through the coffee shop. And now I'm looking up, and the coffee shop is filled with you know, all different races and all different sexes and all different ages, but everybody's still kind of the same socioeconomic. You know. And these two guys, they, they weren't dressed like everybody else. They didn't look like it. It was just you, I, all of a sudden I knew something wasn't right. And about the time when I look up, these two guys bolt through the coffee shop, go out to the outer courtyard, and on the far end table, there's five middle-aged guys out there having their coffee, and one guy had his wallet on the end of the table. And so these two guys bolt to that table, and one of the guys grabs the wallet, and both of them jump the fence, go through the little courtyard, get into the strip mall, and they are gone through the parking lot. They are gone. And these five middle-aged guys at that table, all of a sudden, I'm watching this like in slow motion. They, these five guys just kind of get up from their chairs. Chairs are falling over, cacophony of sound, and then bless their hearts. I mean, you know, these five guys are not going to catch these two guys, you know. And these five middle-aged guys, I mean, they haven't been on a treadmill <laughs> for at least a decade. Now, I'm being nice, okay? Maybe a quarter of a century, but they, they you know, and, and so they're not about to catch, you know, the, and, and the, these guys are gone. And the one guy whose wallet got stolen, bless his heart, you know, anytime you say that, you know, it's not going to end well, right? So bless his heart. He can't run as fast as his mind thinks he can, and he face plants right there in the parking lot. And fortunately, nothing was broken, but he's got, you know, road rash all over his arms and blood. And, and, and I'm watching all this just go down. And I'm thinking, I'm writing a one-page outline on evil. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. And I thought, no, I shouldn't pray that. I, be with the brother that just lost his wallet, God. Please, please forgive me. But I, I, I'm watching all this go down. And so how do you explain evil? How do you, what's your approach to evil? How do you handle the evil that's in your life? Now, evil tends to fall into two categories. One of these is the category against people. Theft, murder, rape, that would be definitely a category of evil. A second category of evil, though, would be against God. Would be unbelief, would be idolatry, it would be, would be blasphemy. And so how do you explain evil? Now, in, in a room like this, there are some of you that aren't really sure that evil even exists. You see it, but you're not sure that there's really an evil one who's behind all this. And there's others of you in this room that if you don't get like a parking place at Pickles, you think the devil's out to get you, right? <laughs> and so we've got, we've got this huge you know, span between all of us in this room. So let's ask some basic questions. And I've decided to camp out on this today. Tom talked about temptation we're talking about the tempter. 
Is there a tempter who has an evil agenda against you and against your family, against your kids, and against everything? That, that's the question this morning. So, so first of all, let's, let's, let's start with Jesus. Jesus is always a good place to start, right? And Jesus talked about Satan. Jesus talked about the tempter. Jesus talked about the devil. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus says this. Jesus says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That will not happen to you. The Holy Spirit will never lead you into temptation. He may test you, he will discipline you, but he will never lead you into a temptation. So why does he do do this for Jesus? He does this to Jesus as an example to show to you and me that it can be done. We can overcome all these struggles of the evil one. So we have this incredible example of Jesus, but this won't happen to you. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see what Jesus said about the tempter. Look at the next verse. The tempter came to him. He calls him a tempter. Next verse. Then the devil took him. He calls him the devil. Next verse. And again, the devil took him. Next verse. Verse 10. Away from me. He calls him now Satan. Look at the next verse. Verse 11. He says, then the devil left him. Now, the reason I want to talk about this today is because it affects everybody in the room. Everybody in the room has been affected by evil. Every one of us in this room, we've had evil happen to our parents, happen to our best friends. We've had evil happen to our neighbors. Evil has come to you. You have been exposed to it. You've been, exper- you, you, you've, you've been somehow affected by it. Everybody in the room has been impacted by evil. So where did it come from? Where in the world did evil come from? All right, one last little thing, and then we'll get into some more Scripture. If we did not have... Genesis chapter 3, we'd be really confused about evil. Because if we just had Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, which talks about the garden, and they're happy, and they're getting along, and everybody's doing well, I mean, that would be great. But all of a sudden, we go from that, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, if we didn't have Genesis chapter 3, which talks about the fall of man, the serpent, we would be really confused. Because just imagine if your Bible and my Bible skip Genesis chapter 3. And all we had was the perfection in the garden, and then chapter 4, we've got Cain killing Abel. Where did that come from? We've got Lamech killing another man. Where did that come from? We've got God saying, I am sorry that I've made man. My spirit will not contend with man forever. I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. And then all of a sudden, we got the whole boat thing. They're making, Noah's making the boat for 120 years. They've never seen rain. Rain comes down, and they all get into the boat, and everybody else drowns except for eight people. In chapter 9, we go, okay, well, good. All right, we're going to start all over again, and everything's going to be wonderful. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 9, we've got one of Noah's sons shaming the family, and then Noah builds a vineyard, and he gets hammered. He gets drunk. And we're like, What? Where in the world did all this come from? So without Genesis chapter 3, our lives don't, Baltimore doesn't make sense. Without Genesis chapter 3, all these shootings don't make a whole lot of sense. Without Genesis chapter 3, a guy, two guys stealing a wallet in a, in a coffee shop in Pompano Beach, Florida makes zero sense. But when you understand Genesis chapter 3, 
then you begin to see how the evil around you and around your family and how you've been affected, it begins to make sense. So here's what he says in Genesis chapter 3. He says, now the serpent was more crafty. And all of a sudden, we have the introduction to the serpent. So I want to give you just a little bit of a background today. I don't know what you believe, but Jesus believed that Satan was real. And so we're going to start with that premise um, this morning. So here's some historical background from the scriptures on what the Bible says about the evil one, about the tempter. All right? Let's start with the very first one. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 says this. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. So again, what do we think happened to Satan? Well, for some reason, Satan rebelled. For some reason, Satan resisted. For some reason, Satan just didn't want to serve God. He wanted to be God. And the Bible tells us that basically Satan and one-third of all the angels rebelled against God, and they got cast down to this earth. And so they're here today. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Look at the next one out of, out of Ezekiel. You were the seal of perfection. Now, Tom made a really good point last week. Why did Satan start with Eve? Because he was jealous. Satan before Eve was the most beautiful creature, most beautiful part of creation that God had ever made before. But now that God created woman, woman was now the crown of God's creation. It's the last thing that God created. And she was gorgeous, and he couldn't handle it. Lucifer, you were the seal of perfection. You were full of wisdom. You were perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. You were in the garden of God. Yeah, he was in the garden of God. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts that God had made. Look at the next verse, verse 17. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. In other words, you weren't thinking right. Even though you were great, you were gorgeous, it went to your head, bro. It, you got way out of line with this. this. You got out of touch with this. And it corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. Where is Satan today? Where are a third of all the demons today? They are here. They are on this earth. So I threw you to the earth, and I made you a spectacle. Look at what Revelation chapter 12 says. And by the way, Revelation describes more about the serpent, the snake, the devil, Lucifer, than any other book of the Bible. It really does. But we're just going to read a couple verses. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth, and the sea, because the devil has gone down to where? To the earth. He's gone down to the sea. He was trying to mess up our baptism a couple of weeks ago, I think. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Look at verse 13. When the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child. And that's a really interesting Christmas story, by the way, because you realize that even at Christmas, Satan, we, we talk about silent night, holy night. I don't want to ruin that song for you, but it was anything but a silent night. It was anything but a holy night. The forces of evil were trying to kill that baby boy before he ever got, got to this earth, before he ever became the Messiah. So it was not a silent night. It was, a, it was an incredible, difficult night. And so here we have the presence of evil. Now, again, I don't know what you believe, but you can have to agree with me that as Americans, we're infatuated by evil. Just think of all the movies. Think of all the different movies that have been um, written and directed and produced that are just, there's an infatuation. I mean, how many Saw movies can you make, right? Saw 1, Saw 2, Saw... I mean, how many times can you scream, right? Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4, Scream 5. I mean, all these, you know, what lies beneath. 
I mean, Shutter Island. You just think about all the different horror movies that have been created today. And, and the reason that they keep making them is because we keep going to them because we're infatuated by, by the presence of evil. The number three all-time grossing movie was The Exorcist in 1973. Now, I'm not asking if you saw it, but do you remember it? How many of you remember The Exorcist in 1973? Yeah, you're old. Okay. Num- number two... Number two and the number one all-time grossing horror movies are these two right here. One of them was Jaws, and the other one was called The Sixth Sense. Now, I don't know about you, but Jaws ruined me from ever getting a, a diving license, okay? I fish in the boat. I do not get out of the boat. I'm in the boat. Jaws ruined that for me in 1975 with Steven Spielberg, right? Okay? 1999, the other one is The Sixth Sense. 293 million dollars to six cents uh, uh, grossed. Interestingly, the Blair Witch Project, which is the number four movie of all time, the Blair Witch Project, they made the Blair Witch movie for $600,000, and it grossed $250 million. You see, now, the reason I bring all this up is there is an evil one, and we're infatuated by evil, And if we walk into this, it's going to destroy us. And so what I want to do for a couple of minutes is go through a comprehensive list of what the Bible says about evil. Now, now I've done different small groups before. We've talked about all the different names of of God in the Old Testament. We've talked about all the different names of Jesus in the New Testament. What we're going to do, I couldn't find this, but I made this list up. We're going to go through the scriptures and find a comprehensive list on on Satan or Lucifer, okay? So if you've got your bulletin, I've got 14 blanks for you to fill in, and we're going to start with number one. Here's the first one. He is real. Jesus said he was real. Jesus called him the tempter. Jesus called him Satan. Jesus acknowledged that Satan was real. Several times Jesus said what? Get behind me, Satan. And so he is real. Number two, he is an enemy. He is not your friend. He is your arch enemy. He is God's arch enemy. And he is against all the people of God who exist today. Number three, he is dangerous. Do not misunderstand. Do not misjudge him. He is a dangerous entity. So he's real. He's dangerous. And he is your enemy. Number four, he is a master deceiver. Ask Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, in their innocence, sinned greatly, and they were deceived. And he's out to deceive you. He's out to deceive your family. He's out to deceive everything about you. Number five, the word Satan itself means adversary. And so Jesus called him Satan, meaning he is my, he's my, he's my adversary. He is against me, and he is against you. Number six, the name devil means slanderer. And so when you are slandering somebody or somebody is really slandering you, it's really the spirit of the Antichrist which is at work. Now think about this. Think about your speech. Because if you are slandering other people, you are acting more like the morning star, which is Lucifer, than you are the light of the world, which is Jesus. Jesus didn't slander people. Number seven, this is kind of interesting. There's a Hebrew name and a Greek name. These all come out of Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. And both of these names for Satan or Lucifer, they all mean destroyer. I think that's hard for us today. I think it's hard for us because we're Americans and we're optimistic and we live in the land of the free and the brave and we have these opportunities. I think it's hard for us to realize that you have an enemy who wants to destroy your health. He wants to destroy your wealth. He wants to destroy your business. 
You have an adversary that wants to destroy your children, who wants to destroy all of your friendships and your relationships. You and I have an adversary who is working against us. Now, we're going to talk about this in just a minute. What do we do with this? But we have to recognize that we actually do have an adversary who is out to get us 24-7. Number eight, Brian Quimby read this verse for us during communion. He is uh, like a lion that he seeks to devour. Now, if we're aware of this, would we open ourselves up to Satan? If we're aware that we have an enemy who's out to devour us, would we be a little wiser and take a few more precautions along the way? Number nine, Jesus calls him in John chapter 8, 44, a murderer and the father of lies. I, I didn't say that. It's what Jesus said. Jesus called him that. Also, number 10, Jesus calls him the evil one in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. Jesus calls Satan, Lucifer, the devil. He calls him the evil one. Number 11, this is from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul calls him the God of this age. And what he says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't understand. So when you understand that, you realize that if we really love our family and our friends who aren't Christians... We begin to pray that their eyes will be opened. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So we begin to pray that our family and friends and our neighbors will see, and they'll see the truth. Number 12, he is the ruler of the world system. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Number 13, he is the leader of the demonic forces of evil. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and world powers and demonic forces of this air. And number 14, he is the accuser. And so Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, He accuses, he accuses, he accuses, and he's, he's out to get you. Now, just think about this. So many of us struggle with insecurity. And the reason we struggle with such insecurity is because we have other people that are always accusing us, are always putting us down, are always harming us. And that comes from, from the evil one. So here's what I want to say today. Jesus taught that you have someone out there who's against you. You have someone who's against your marriage. You have someone who's against your health. You have someone who's against your business. You have someone who's against your wealth. You have, you have someone out there who is out to get you and can't wait to destroy you and can't wait to harm you and truly mess you up. That's, that's what Jesus taught. So, again, if you're new to church and you don't understand all this, as Christians, we go with what the guy who got up from the grave and walked out of the grave, we go with him. And so that's what Jesus said. So we go with, with Jesus. So because that's true, what do I do? Because all 14 of those names are true, what, what is my response to this? Well, it's not real smart to ignore it, right? It's like if you've got an infection, are you just going to ignore it? Is it going to go away? Gang, gangrene takes place, you lose the arm or the leg, you die. I mean, you, you can't ignore it because it's, ISIS is here. Baltimore episodes are here. People stealing wallets out of a coffee shop, they're, they're here. You, you, you can't ignore it. Evil is around here. But you can do three or four things that just make a whole lot of sense. Number one is, I think you don't open yourself up to it. So I, That's my first suggestion. You don't open yourself up to evil. And so 
There are evil people. There are evil places. There are evil movies. There are evil environments. There, there are things that are evil that you just say, I'm not going to open myself up to that. Because if I open myself up to that, I've just put now a window or a crack into my soul. I've just kind of given Satan then a key to my life and a key to my heart. And so the first, my first suggestion is, is you don't open yourself up to this. You just wisely avoid some places. You wisely avoid some people. You wisely avoid some behaviors. I mean, now think about this. So I've had, this, I've had people say this to me over and over and over again. Kurt, I know what the Bible teaches. I know what the Bible teaches. Don't be jealous, but I am jealous. I know the Bible teaches don't be bitter, but I'm going to be bitter. I know the Bible teaches, you know, that I should forgive, but I'm not going to forgive her. Are you kidding me? I'm not about to forgive her. I'm not going to forgive him. Do you know what he did? I'm not going to forgive. And when you do that, that spirit of bitterness takes root in you. You've just opened a window, sometimes a door, for the evil one to have access to your soul. And you've just given an enemy who's out to get everything that's precious and valuable to you, your grandkids or whatever. And so when you think about the people and the places and the events and our behavior. I know what the Bible says. You know, you're the preacher. I know we shouldn't be committing sexual immorality. But are you kidding me? You've just given the door to the Lucifer to come into your home. I know my grandparents, you know, taught us, you know, to, to pray and not be unselfish. But we're just going to. And so, again, again, I'm just giving you truth this morning. So, first, my first suggestion is. I wouldn't open myself up to it. Second of all, I wouldn't be afraid. Well, you just scared us half to death, Kurt. I mean, <laughs> you just freaked us all out, you know. No, no, I wouldn't be afraid. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'd be shaking in my boots right now, okay, or my flip-flops. But if I am a Christian, you see, the Scriptures say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus put his spirit inside of you and his spirit inside of me so that we could live a victorious Christian. Yeah, there's going to be evil around us. Yeah, evil's around but, but he's given us the strength to overcome. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, God's not given you a spirit of fear. God didn't place inside of you a spirit of fear, but of power and might and a sound mind. And so again, as believers then, I wouldn't open myself up to it, but I also wouldn't be all freaked out about it. I wouldn't walk around with my tail between my legs. I think both of these are an insult to your heavenly father. Isn't it an insult when you've been created a child of the light for you to open yourself up to darkness? That doesn't make any sense. But also it's an insult for us to walk around in fear when he's given us strength and love and power and might. And so how do we do this? Well, we, we, walk, we walk victoriously. Now, here's why. I want you to catch this. And they teach you not to do this in homilex classes, what I'm about to do, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? They teach you you don't introduce a new idea toward the end of the sermon, but I have to. Why do you think Adam and Eve sinned when they were in the garden before sin entered the world? Why do you think 
they did what they did when there was no sin. I've thought about that for years. It's taken me years to theologically come up with the right answer. I've scratched my head and pondered that, and I've worked on that for years and years and years. And you know what the answer to that is? You see, Adam and Eve were created innocent, but they were not made righteous. They were created innocent in the garden, just like your kids. You got a kid, the kid's born, that kid is born innocent. But just let that kid live two or three years, okay, and they lose their innocence real quick, right? Me, my, go back to our children's area right now, the two and three, toddlers, two and three-year-olds, and it's my toy, my doll, my whatever. Okay, we were, they, were, they were innocent, but they weren't righteous. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus made you righteous. The righteousness of Christ came over you. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansed your sins, past, present. Jesus makes you a righteous person. Listen to what he says in Romans. Romans chapter 5 says this. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, that's what Adam and Eve did, the one trespass, so also the one righteous act, this is Jesus, resulted in justification of life for all people. How do you have strength? Look at the next verse. How do you have strength? For just as through the disobedience of the one man, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Now look at verse, verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, that's through Adam and Eve, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now here's the deal. When you become a Christian, you're not just innocent. No, 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 no. You've lost your innocence. Everybody in this room's lost their innocence, right? No, nobody's innocent in this room. But you come to Christ... And Christ makes you righteousness. He imputes his righteousness inside of you, and you are forever changed. And so we don't walk around in fear, and we certainly don't walk around opening up doors and going to scary movies and going to bad places and going with bad people and doing this. We don't don't do any of that. Here's what Jesus said. So Jesus just spent 40 days on the earth with post-resurrection appearances. Jesus died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, and for 40 days he appears to all these different people. And Jesus said to them, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to change the world. There's 120 of you. I want you to go up against Rome. I want you to go up against the Jewish nation. I want you to go up against the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests. I want you to charge hell with a water pistol. I want you to build churches. I want you to have ministries. I want you to change the world. But don't do any of this. Don't you dare do any of this until the Holy Spirit comes. Because if you do this without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to fall flat on your face. And so Jesus said, I want you to go out of the world. I want you to change the world. But don't do anything until the Spirit comes. Here's what he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, oh, baby, 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 did that come. And every person who is a Christian today, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so you have strength. You have power. You have courage. You have the, 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 the nature of God himself inside of you, helping you to live the Christian. Why would you open yourself up to evil? 
why, why would you be afraid? You, you, you and I have the power of God inside of our lives. So if you're not a Christian, I would start with Jesus. I would accept Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. I would always start with Jesus. Maybe today you want some special prayer because you've opened yourself up to some evil. Maybe you want to close that door today. Maybe you want to shut that door and put a big old padlock on it. Maybe today you just want somebody to come alongside you because you're hurting and you need some help today to live the victorious Christian life. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front at this time. I'm going to ask all of us to stand. And I'm going to close this in prayer. And, and as I close this in prayer today, you see, this is one of the reasons why we do small groups. This is one of the reasons why we have like 87 connect groups. Is because we as the body of Christ, we all come together and we do life together. I don't know of a better way to grow in my faith and to stay all strong and short up than with another group of like-minded believers who are praying together, studying the scriptures together, and doing life together and being open and honest with each other. And so again, we've got 87 groups that you can go sign up for. I strongly encourage you to be in a group of like-minded believers that are studying and praying together. There's a kiosk out that side in the corner. Go sign up for a connect group and get involved. If you'd like to be a part of the Wedding Chapel Marriage Matters for One Year campaign, if you would, there's a connect desk out there, kiosk out there rather. Go see that, sign up for that, put, drop that to them as well, or take it to guest services. But we would like to be able to change our community for Christ. Let's pray together, okay? Dear Jesus, we love you and we praise you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we worship you today. Now dismiss us in strength, dismiss us in peace, and dismiss us in wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.